So if we come on to management now, Krithi, just walk us through the kind of management of deranged liver function tests. Obviously, it's going to be dependent upon the pathology, but just talk us through some of the common ones. Sure, Michael. As you rightly point, I think management is largely dependent on the etiology of the deranged LFTs and managing decompensation if present in that patient. So briefly, in management, depending on the different etiology, are uh, so for instances, alcohol-related liver disease, key management is obviously stay abstinent, engaging the alcohol liaison team, make sure patients counsels on the moving forward. Managing nutrition, this group of patients is often key. Both outpatient and patient, they're coming in acutely unwell, then you make sure that their nutrition requirements are met. The dietitians review, starting on pubrin eggs and replacing all the other vitamins and minerals. And other key thing in this group of patients to manage the alcohol withdrawal. Um, so starting them on the CVAL scores and making sure they are sort of a short acting um, benzodiazepine such as lorazepam, oxazepam, rather than starting them on a diazepam in patients with cirrhosis or evidence of chronic liver disease. Mm. Yeah, and I think, and then the last thing with alcohol is, is obviously some people can present with alcoholic hepatitis, can't they? So that's where you get predominantly a, a raised bilirubin sometimes you can have slightly raised at other LFTs as well but the bilirubin is the predominant factor and there can be an element of coagulopathy on there and if you're suspecting it then you need to calculate something called a madri score and if their score is high enough then they may be suitable for a trial of steroids provided there's no evidence of concurrent infection anywhere and you can start them on 40 milligrams of prednisolone once a day um, and then calculate something called a LIL score at seven days. And that will tell you if they are likely to respond and improve with, with continuation of the cell rates for four weeks in total, or whether uh, actually they are um, not a responder, in which case you need to do supportive measures like you've already said, Grithi, but also consider whether actually referral to a transplant service is indicated. Now, it depends where you work. Some places, particularly tertiary centers, will want a biopsy-proven alcoholic hepatitis before starting the steroids. But actually, in a lot of district general hospitals, there just simply isn't that resource. So they go on clinical and, and certain that there's no underlying infective process on there. So that's something that you can certainly more specific, more specific to alcohol that you can see. And then what about things like non-alcoholic fatty liver disease? Again, similar to the alcoholic liver disease is trying to managing risk factors of patients diabetic, making sure they've got good diabetic controlled. According to the guidelines, you may want to involve the endocrinologist if it's a poorly controlled diabetes. If you're thinking of the third, fourth line agent down the line lipids so making sure they're on statins or fiber again um, calculating their cardiovascular risk score because obviously these patients have a huge cardiovascular risk down the line and weight loss uh, and diet a lifestyle modification you, know, you can get the dietitians involved if some someone sort of raised bmi and struggling to lose weight and often despite all the lifestyle modifications and if they are still having raised bmi you can refer them to their bariatric services for consideration of treatment or surgery Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think NAFLD, so non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is, is, you know, is going to be, and it already is, but will be the predominant burden for liver disease liver disease certainly in the UK and likely globally as well it often presents with just a slightly raised ALT and otherwise normal liver function tests and the majority of patients with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease will not have any side effects and will not have any long-term complications to it however the patients that have a sub sub tech a subgroup of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease which is NASH or non-alcoholic steatohepatitis they're the people which is a biopsy proven diagnosis they are the people that will have a high risk of developing fibrosis in the 
more advanced therapies which are usually given in tertiary centers which have some basis like pyoglitazones or vitamin e can sometimes be used to treat that but again it's you know we don't have good treatments for it and the predominant changes as you say are lifestyle modifications and managing their risks aren't there so then what about drug-induced liver injury in terms for drug-induced liver injury i think the key thing is you're trying to find for potential possible causes, uh, potential drug causes. There's a wide range of medication that can cause drug-induced liver injury. So taking an accurate drug history, and as you rightly mentioned at the start, also asking about the over- over-the-counter medications, herbal remedies, or any supplements or anything else that they've tried sort of in the preceding events leading up to the presentation with the LFTs. I think the logical step is to stop the drug if we believe that's the likely cause here and see if the LFTs are getting better. If the LFTs are not getting any better, then they may need more investigations, especially with a negative liver screen. And if it confidence a DLE, they may need a liver biopsy to confirm the diagnosis. Because mm-hmm. DLE also can present in sort of a hepatitic picture or cholesterol picture, depending on the various drugs. So a liver biopsy may be of use to A, assess the severity of the injury and also to confirm that this is indeed a drug-induced liver injury. Yeah. And I think the... The, the logical thing some people think about is whether steroids are, are useful the evidence is so so some people like giving steroids if there's lots of inflammation seen on a liver biopsy but actually the majority of the time the management is removal of the causative agent and the and management of any kind of side effects or supporting medications for it so then what moving on to the kind of more autoimmune things so what about primary biliary cirrhosis and management in terms of primary biliary cirrhosis in terms of the management udca ursodeoxycholic uh, acid is your first line of choice some patients can develop side effects from it so there are second line agents such as obeticolic acid or depending on the trust that you work, this may or may not be available. Key thing also is symptomatic management. These patients often can present uh, can have pruritus, fatigue. In terms of pruritus, patients may need to be started on cholestyramine or other sort of second or third line agent for pruritus if they are not responding to cholestyramine. And also screening these patients for osteoporosis by informed checking vitamin D and DEXA scan because these patients often... Uh, do not absorb their fat-soluble vitamins and can present with osteoporosis. So sort of managing sort of the primary liver problem and also the extra hepatic manifestations or complication that you can come with PBC. Yeah. And then autoimmune hepatitis, continuing the autoimmune thing, what would you think about that? So for autoimmune hepatitis, in terms of inducing remission, uh, you start patients on prednisolone. And then once sort of they've been established on prednisolone, you need to try to wean them off them safely. Then you start sort of a maintenance treatment, common first line, common first line is azotioprine. There are other agents that can use uh, MMF if they are sort of not uh, allergic or not in, not tolerant to azotioprine. But often azotioprine is a first line of medication to maintain remission. Yeah. And I th- and so the other thing we can use and, and people favor these days in a non-serotic with autoimmune hepatitis is budesonide actually can be quite useful as well. You're right in prednisolone for serotics and there's lots of information then yesterday's and there's ongoing hepatitis because of the autoimmune disease then yeah absolutely prednisolone, budesonide is another wean. And these patients will be on steroids for a long time. You're talking well every year most of them and actually and it takes a long time to wean it down just because of the kind of aggressive nature of the inflammation and then what about the kind of viral hepatitis that you talked about so a and e the management is largely supportive and there isn't any direct treatment needed for most of them what about b and c 
So in terms of hepatitis B and C, first of all, it's try, trying to find out if the patient needs treatment because not all patients with chronic hep B or hep C needs treatment. So that's good guidelines for that. If the patient's cirrhotic, then obviously they need treatment for the hepatitis B or C. And in terms of hepatitis B, you have the interfer PEG interferon or other new agents such as the entecavir, tenofovir. And for hepatitis C, again, you have the other NAA agents. But I think Ethan is trying to see if they meet the criteria for treatment. And uh, there are sort of various antivirals that we can use for both hepatitis B and hepatitis C. And we do have good results with these antivirals. Then uh, what we call, they have to meet a criteria called sustained viral response. So you start this treatment for sort of 12 weeks and then check their viral load again and sort of monitoring them for any complications and long term as well. Yes, I mean B and C. So C, so hepatitis C first is, you know, the treatment in resource-rich countries is is now essentially aiming for cure for everyone. So everyone that has it and has a viral load should be given direct-acting antiviral antivirals, as you say. And depending on the genotype of the virus, you have ninety plus percent chance of clearing it on the first time, and with different variations, and you aim to get sustained viral response for most people. Hepatitis B is a different beast, and there are newer treatments in the pipeline, but maybe one day we will be able to cure it. The key, as you said, is to use usually the newer agents like tenofovir and tecavir to click to suppress the viral load in the blood and suppress any inflammation in the liver in the hepatocytes to, to stop progression to cirrhosis and reduce the risk of development of HCC, which for both of those groups of patients is difficult. And then kind of thinking about more kind of post-hepatic causes of, of deranged liver function tests and cholestatic pictures. So what about patients that have things like CBD stones or, or you know, CBD strictures? In terms of post-hepatic causes, um, sort of the treatment modality is often ERCP, where so you can use ERCP as a tool to sort of remove the stones, or if a stricture, put stents in and take biopsy at the same time, so you can act both as diagnostic and therapeutic tool at the same same point. PP would be sort of the main modality of treatment for this group of patients. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's newer modes of ERCP, which are called spyglass, which allows you to go over very, very small camera and give direct what's called cholangioscopy, so direct views of the biliary tree. And you can see what normal and abnormal tissue looks like. And as you say, take biopsies at that point. So, you know, oft, often it's a very effective treatment. And and when don't we always forget that with patients that have had complications of gallstones, such as cholangitis, pancreatitis, need to have their gallbladder taken out at some point if they're fit enough to do so. But obviously that we leave that to the surgeons. So yes, yeah, so I think that was a very nice run through of everything we talked about. It's, it's a big subject, but I think, you know, you've broken it down really clearly and and kind of addressed all of the major issues there. So I think it's, yeah, it's a good, it was a good run through of, of the kind of approach and initial investigation and management of deranged liver function tests. All right. Thanks, Krithi. We will head over to the clinical scenarios. Yeah, thank you, Michael.